0: okay okay here we go folks welcome back inside the parisi palace high above 3773 east broadway this is the jake feinberg show company on power talk please go to our website powertalk.live download our free app and stream all of our live local programming including the jake feinberg show we can't thank you enough for making us part of your day today and what an honor to bring back a dear friend of the program and somebody who um we continue to stretch out and analyze addiction and genius and how it plays into the role of the psyche and the misinformation the and what still needs to be done as it relates to addiction. Monica Gets, welcome back to the Jake Feinberg Show. Thank you. You know, I wanted to ask you about a guy. I, I found an album the other day Uh I can't remember the name of it. He was a, it was him as a leader. But uh, did, did Albert Daly hang out a lot at the house? Yeah. Um,
1: Albert was one of Stan's favorites. And um, Stan, in fact, we built, we built a re- recording studio here with Jonathan Horwich, uh, which was just wonderful. And Albert was one of the first people to um, record there.
0: And and Stan because and, I mean Stan and him would just do like duo uh, st- sessions together, you know.
1: Yeah, they they really were in tune with, with uh, one another. They really, um, Stan would seldom play with anybody but uh, whom he really felt in tune with. So, um, um,
0: they were very close. I wanted to ask you. This is something again. I, I want to get. I want to get your reaction. You are a musical. You're a big fan of music, and you 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 dig good music. Um, in the late 50s, st- my feeling is that, uh, and I want you to tell me the truth. Stan, in, in around you know fifty nine or so, he was itching to return to the states after he heard John Coltrane, his dear friends, my favorite things. And he started to become he realized that there was a new e- wave of jazz coming in and he wanted to come back to the States. And I wanted you to tell me why he why you guys decided to move back, if that was the reason, because he was itching to sort of get on. Because when he came back, the, the producers and people were saying, hey, you know, we we're worried that you've lost your, some sort of like they were jazz musicians. They weren't iconic rock stars. So he, they were worried about his fan base. And they said, just do pop stuff, just do stuff that's going to be recognizable so you can rebuild. And Stan was like, absolutely not. And he was doing this crazy stuff with Scotty LaFaro, and then eventually Focus came in. But that initial impetus to move back was because of Train and Miles. Is that right?
1: No, (laughs) it's not.
0: Good. Go ahead.
1: I don't know. where, Where did you get that from?
0: Well, again, this is out of the Megan book, and again, I, I have, I well,
1: have. Well, Megan, is not um, uh, somebody that I would uh, consider a, a, a source of the absolute truth. Megan never met Stan, and Megan uh, did construct things out of the air uh, very frequently. <laughs> but let's
0: just be clear: Stan was a he was he was winning Downbeat awards. He was a competitor. There was a burning desire. You can't just say there wasn't a desire to come back because there was this new wave of music going on.
1: Yeah, but it it has very little to do with that. It had a lot to do with the fact that Stan, any musician, any expatriate that lives in Europe, after a while, they feel the need to come back to New York. New York is the pulse of where everything happens and uh i think what what drives people to 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 be in europe is a multifactorial thing a they are very much more respected in europe even to this day than they are here um i'm talking about jazz musicians right um uh, also they are um paid better they have um peace and quiet and they can there are so many factors that lead people to um, live in Europe and to move to Europe. but when it comes to creativity and where things are happening and uh, I once heard um, I think I mentioned this before um, at a lecture somebody saying uh, there's genius and then it's something called genius, which means that when high-level creative musicians get together in the same spot, they sort of spark off one another and inspire each other to higher and higher levels, not necessarily as competition but as inspiration. And uh, Stan felt more and more um, comfortable and isolated, and I think that. That comfort in itself was an inspiration for a while. But being able to hang out in Birdland or hang out in Basin Street East or whatever it was in those days with other musicians, he craved that. Right. I respected that, but I told him it's on a condition that you remain yourself you know, that you don't just uh, hang out for all the wrong reasons, which is very easy for an addicted person to do in New York. So this is where I think I helped him really hang on to um, the kind of uh, inner truth that he had musically. I was not going to um, have all these producers intimidate, uh, intimidate us especially his own record company president. It was just amazing um, that they had the nerve of Stan um, to try to get with some kind of a popular thing.
0: See, but see, that... So so I I just want to be clear. You were as much a driving force to say to Stan, do not go down this pop road. Because, I mean, I know that they were, you know, essentially he had been in europe for quite a while and enjoying like you said that comfort but then stan being somebody who loved the communal nature of melodic music jazz uh wanted to come back and they wanted to play play it safe and you were saying no i mean and then and then and then and then then that was you
1: know we gave up a lot because the children had security we had a lovely um place to live um my wonderful relatives were of incredible support to Stan and um, the only condition that I was willing to move was if he was going to utilize that opportunity because I knew it would mean a sacrifice for all of us including the children you know when we first came here we lived in a horrible hotel in uh, right in the middle of Manhattan um, so I think um, it wouldn't be worthwhile to give up all those things the security stand was um, relatively well there was no drugs available and uh, i just wanted to make sure that it would become musically valuable for him so um i i did not um for one moment think that uh, he should become anything else but what he was and that he was, should remain true to that and i think we um he was grateful to me for that
0: could you talk about the time that you first felt that you could spend the rest of your life with Stan and when, when, when he was in the hospital detoxing from morphine and you brought him a batch of Sinatra records? Yeah, that
1: was a very romantic time. Can you talk you know, about that?
0: He, Cause I mean, this is part of yeah, the, this is he really had just
1: part of he had just been on the verge of death really. And he'd been on the verge of death many times in his life, but I think um, that was when it uh, he was told by the doctors that he could never play again.
0: Can you just so, go I just, I, I don't want to interrupt. Can you go back and explain why he got to that point to begin with and where you were at at that point? Because I know you were fierce, trying to keep him on the straight and narrow, but his lungs were not so good. Can you talk about what preceded that near-death ex- situation?
1: Well, he had, um, you know, if people have an addiction problem, I know now. In retrospect, um, their chances of staying—almost any addict can stop or change addictions, change from alcohol to valium, yeah. to, um, marijuana to um, sexual addictions. The the addictive quality is constant, and it really is just a merry-go-round. But the people that have the best prospect of recovering, which today is a great prospect of of getting rid of the addiction, are the ones that keep going to a 12-step program, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And um, I didn't know that at the time. He didn't know that at the time. And so um, he could stop for periods of time, but he would eventually relapse no matter how much he really didn't want to relapse. In that atmosphere and without the discipline of the 12 step program I don't think that he um, really would have lived very long until he finally founded at Hazelden Minnesota that was uh, the major turnaround for him
0: so um, going back to the, going back to the bedside though when you what endeared you to him that night that you said "I love this man ah
1: uh, because He was then, um, he had um, almost died. He had gotten an infection um, from needle marks or whatever and um, was really, really sick. Um, And he had come to look me up and try to speak to my mother and to plead um, with us because I had pretty much had it with him after he had come to Sweden. And and, uh, I saw that he wasn't serious about Um, being drug-free or alcohol-free. So um, he had gone out, and and I don't know what had exactly happened. He claimed that he had an infection from a mosquito bite, and I doubt that. But whatever it was, he got (laughs) double pneumonia, Hmm. ended up in the hospital. My family ended up taking care of him. There was a shortage of nurses, and we, um, uh, even though, um, yeah, know, we really saw to it that his life was saved and and he had the best of doctors. And then after he was saved from the double pneumonia, um, which probably um, destroyed his lungs pretty much, then he was moved to my cousin's department, the psychiatric department, to withdraw him from whatever um, he had to be kept on during the time that they saved his life in the infectious disease department. And, that was when I saw him clean and sober and his purest self. And it was um, a, a tremendous change from, from um, well, the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. He, there, was not, there was nothing attractive about Stan when he was using, really. Um, he became very evil and very um, manipulative, and uh, it's a classical terrible story and i think different people um and different areas of the brain get affected by the alcohol so some alcoholics just um fall asleep and they don't harm anybody but he comes from an area in russia where it's very common to go berserk and um, become quite evil and quite manipulative and, and very convincing as a liar and that wasn't the part that I fell in love with. I No, I, fell I know. In love this is so
0: amazing because... Well, first of all, yeah, so I mean... But I mean, can't... Like... He was... The, the
1: vulnerability, and in those days, um, he was very humble, you know? That changed later when he began to believe in his own publicity. But he was very humble and very sweet and very appreciative and... um We had the same taste in everything. We had so much fun, even though we came from entirely different backgrounds. Um, We were kind of FDR um, politics, um, in love with those old movies and the old um, values. And and, um, um, we read the same books. I told you when I first met him in Washington, D.C., he was reading this book, um... The bridge over I was reading the book uh, in the green room the bridge of um the bridge over San louis Rey by Thornton, and he told me to turn to the last page and he quoted the whole last paragraph f- from just memory. I was so impressed
0: do you um uh, d- when you did you feel like you stayed with him because you wanted to help him or because you were because you get fed up with him, right? I mean, he would clearly Well, I mean, he You he, have to think of him as two
1: persons. You have to think of him I would never allow him to be in our home um while high or um drunk because it was so abusive to the children. As you mentioned that that scene with um uh, with Steve, that was just uh, a, a drama queen, you know. On um, t- trying to 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 get attention, he d- he wasn't uh, he didn't have any gas on. It was ridiculous. But why should the children see such a thing?
0: But, uh, but I mean, do you, Steve, Steve, you sent Steve in though. You didn't want to go. No, in no.
1: Where do you get that? Why would I send Steve in?
0: I guess what I'm saying is, I I,
1: I always was trying to protect the children from seeing uh, his worst side. Uh,
0: the the story is that Stan was in a rage, the whole family was outside, and you said, at being the oldest, you said, Steve, please go in and check on your father, and Steve went complete
1: in. Complete nonsense, complete uh, invention.
0: So who went in?
1: We were all in, we weren't
0: outside. And so he was actually, the, the stove wasn't on, and he was... Com- no. No, he was trying to bring to my attention
1: that he was going to kill himself. Um, And we've been through this so many times. I don't know if you know people who constantly threaten to kill themselves. Um, Whenever I put my foot down and said, you're not going to use drugs in this house, you're not going to behave this way in this house, um, we have, you know, at at that time I think we had... um, Three children, his from a former marriage, that had experienced the abandonment of their mother. Right. I wasn't going to break up that family again. I was. When I married him, I made a commitment that this was going to be a good, wonderful, healthy environment for all of them. I didn't have any in- interest in Steve seeing him like that. I don't know where these stories come from. You see, that's the problem with Megan's book. It's
0: it's but I, so I, I conv- but I, but I do. You do keep going. Listen. Regardless of the factual part of it, it, you are talking about somebody who was Jekyll and Hyde. So to 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 deny that that these things did go down is, uh, to me. No, 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 no. It's not a denial. Did I say it happened? But Steve
1: happened to have just come in there, and he thought he was actually going to kill himself. But. Uh, there was absolutely no such thing going on at the time
0: Um, he was just
1: highly manipulative
0: he was highly manipulative when he was abusing drugs and alcohol yes right so
1: even there is there is a saying among people who are familiar with alcoholism and drug addiction called a dry drunk these isms so to speak this behavior doesn't disappear magically when they sober up. Sometimes they act in a very self-centered and very defensive way, and denial is not just a river in Egypt. Denial is part of the disease, and that's why I get a little offended when you say I'm denying because that is what going to Al-Anon means, is to get out of your denial and to face the fact that this person is sometimes completely out of control and all you have to do then is to make sure that you and your home stays as sane as
0: possible. So I'm going to read you this quote from Stan, and I want you to um, extrapolate on this because it's an important part of his, uh, his uh, artistic uh, genius. Um, and I've talked to a bunch of musicians who... Uh, have have alluded to this, but I want you to talk about it. He said, you rehearse as little as possible, and the less you concentrate, the better. That's the best way to enter the alpha state. The more you tighten up physically and mentally in jazz music, the worse it gets. Can you talk about the alpha state? Many people talk about it. Ab- yeah, good.
1: I, I really give Stan credit for this because he figured out um very quickly that when he was sober, um, he could induce in himself something he called relaxed concentration. Um, He had a technique that was almost infallible. So even if he took a vacation, which he sometimes did, for six months, he would very quickly get the technique back. But what he valued was the inspiration sometimes from being away from jazz music and getting maybe listening to classical music and listening to other musicians and just living life. And then he would get back into that wonderful, hungry um, state of uh, giving it his all without tensing up, and he went to neurologists, actually, to see while sober how he can induce that relaxed concentration without alcohol, without pills, without drugs, and those are called the alpha waves. When he was in his ideal state of playing, what he called relaxed concentration, they could actually measure in his brain that he was in an alpha state.
0: Could you talk about it from the point of view of, of being an audience member and when you would look into those blue eyes where he was just, what was that like In a, as, a, as far as a, a patron of the arts when he was locked into that alpha state?
1: Mm, he would keep his eyes closed mostly when he played. Um, um, he didn't focus much on the audience or on anything else but the other musicians, the communication that was going on on stage. Um, But um, almost all of his best music was done uh, clean and sober. Not all of it. Absolutely not. And I think that's uh, another reason why musicians are drawn to alcohol and drugs because they're trying to induce that relaxed concentration. But the very best is if they can induce that without the alcohol and the drugs. Didn't I tell you about when he came home and he thought that he had touched God and and we listened to the tapes and it was just nonsense? You get that feeling sometimes um, when you're high, I suppose, that you're playing just perfect. And then when you've listened the next day, it's just nonsense. It's just a subjective experience. It really isn't objective. And... In jazz, you can get away with it. He used to laugh and say, It's a lucky thing that I'm a jazz musician because sometimes I fake it.
0: You know, it's uh, talking to Monica Getz here uh, on the Jake Feinberg show. Um, can you talk about uh, the, I mean, uh, Big bi- um, Goldie uh, worshipped Stan, held him to an incredibly high standard of perfection. Um, can you talk about the impact that, that that her passing had on Stan and how that factored into the seminal album that he did? Because, you know, I talked to Miroslav Vichuas, okay? And he was part of Weather Report. And he went back and started to talk to me about the fact that really the first cats that were using the bass as a uh, an individual voice... Uh, Were people like Scotty LaFaro With Bill Evans Around the time that Stan and you came back From Europe Mm -hmm. Now um, I You know I've interviewed Creed Taylor Several times Uh, That album Focus is a seminal Album and it was A tribute to his Mother who passed but Can you talk about how that all came to be and because it really it was there was no traditional rhythm section outside of Roy Haynes on a couple of tracks and Creed said that Stan basically improvised the entire thing without any charts. So I just would like you to talk a little bit about the loss of his mother how he handled that did he fall back into bad bad habits and 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 what is that album when you listen to it today or whenever you what what is that significance in his career because that was The beginning in my mind of his transition from a serious bebop player to now creating a legacy as a totally individual jazz his own jazz
1: well his mother did die that summer but it was a difficult summer for Stan um what happened was that um, he was given an opportunity um, to create a record completely the way he wanted to, and he had never forgotten Eddie Sauter. Eddie Sauter, um, he considered to be not just a soulmate, but a um, genius that was, had been ignored for too long and relegated to making commercials and horrible things such a <laughs> enormous
0: jingles and stuff ah. yeah it was bu- it was because it yeah. right. because stan felt it was like beneath eddie he should be doing higher quality higher right yeah
1: and stan's mother died and stan i think was on medication actually um uh, during that time and was unable to grieve because she was a major influence on him but i don't think you have that right that she
0: pressured him to be a perfectionist um I, no, I, be, I, a... no I, I listen i interviewed in person uh, red press who was part of that saxophone sextet and neither you or i was around in those ghettos in the bronx but in order for the jews at that time they were being beaten up every day by the italians and the and the irish and to get out of the ghetto you had to be beyond perfect so she, I mean, I mean, really, and also obviously he was on the road at ninth grade with Tea Garden and totally exposed to beyond, you know, you know certain behavior by adults. But, I mean, what, what did it mean? What was the significant? He, his mom idolized him. His brother couldn't. Stan was the golden child. If there was one piece of meat on the table, her husband wasn't getting it. His brother wasn't getting it. Stan was getting it. So it what? Was hor-
1: that part was horrible. Um, Robert was such a <laughs> lovely brother, um, but you see, that was the Jewish mother. You should know better than anybody. My the mom Jewish is actually no, and, and in
0: full. Listen, my name is Jewish, and my dad is Jewish, my mom is Catholic.
1: Ah, so I can't talk to you <laughs> no, about No, but she that. loves,
0: but she, she the, she's the Jewish very Jewish. mother no. <laughs> in New
1: York, yeah. um, I <laughs> have learned since then, and my mother was one of the great psychologists of the world, mm-hmm. and Stan's mom was a typical Jewish mother. However, she had a very high IQ. She was stunningly beautiful as she was, when she was young. But I don't think her marriage was that exciting. And when Steve came along, he became the center of her world, undoubtedly, but she probably would not have let him go on the road at all. The reason that he went with Tea garden was that she was in Philadelphia visiting her relatives in Philadelphia, and Stan's father, who was struggling with his printing business, um found it too tempting when Stan had this offer to go with Tea garden. So um, I don't think that you have that right, because even though I didn't know them at that time, they many times laughingly told me what it was like. I heard from Bob, his brother, and from um, Goldie herself, and from uh, Stan himself, and from his father, what it was like. I never heard what Red Press said that, they felt that they were in a the ghetto. They felt that they were middle class like everybody else. They probably were in a ghetto, but maybe in that part of the ghetto it wasn't so violent. But um, it was more than ben- the way I heard Colin Powell talk about it. The mothers leaned out the window and they saw their kids get into some kind of fight or something. They would be on the jungle telephone Um immediately calling each other and say, you better go and get your son, blah, blah, blah. Well,
0: let me just put it this way, because you've been re- referencing back to the, to, the, to the area of Russia that he's from. There were gulags there. The Jews were being murdered there.
1: But Stan wasn't from there. Uh, he was two generations away from that. Uh,
0: just hear me out. Yeah. When they moved to the States... The Jewish people, I mean, there were Nazi rallies in Madison Square Garden. There was still a huge amount of anti-Semitism. In order to get out of the ghetto, you had to be beyond perfect. Coming from where he came from to where he wasn't. If you wanted to get out of that life, believe me, they had an ice block there with a fan blowing on it. It was not an ideal thing. Now, that being said, um, his dad couldn't keep a job. He had to go on the road with Tea Garden. His dad was making no money. They had no choice. He had to go. And he no. wanted to go. And he no, wanted to.
1: No, no, no. I, I, I beg to disagree with you because this is something that really interested me so much. It wasn't like that for Stan. He felt pretty much that he had not get out of the ghetto you know that stan really didn't want to be a musician he really wanted to be a doctor and stan's mother of course my son the doctor that was the ultimate goal so he always was thinking about um making enough money and being able to save it to go to medical school he never once said to me i had to get out of the ghetto i think There were parts of the Bronx that maybe was like that, but this little area where he lived, they even felt that they had enough left over to have another charity for people that were even poorer. They went to synagogue. They had um, a, a, a social life. I have never heard Stan mention that he was beaten up in any way. Um, Oh, I'm
0: not saying Stan personally. I'm just just saying... And desperate
1: to get out of the ghetto. In fact, many times he sort of felt a little regretful that he went on the road um, because he was going to the Monroe High School. He enjoys studying. I never had that impression, not once, and I've heard him talk about his childhood so many times. Sure,
0: sure. No, I mean, I'm not saying he specifically. I'm just saying uh, he... uh, but going back to, if you could just talk a little bit about, uh, you know, the impact that, that his mom, like, did, did, the, did Focus come out after his mom passed or before, because he dedicated that album to his mother.
1: Well, I dedicated because <laughs> I wrote the line of notes. Uh, uh, I think he had a very strange reaction to his mother's death. He never really grieved, um, and it came out in that music, I think that 's what I believe, um, because um, he really um, had a very sort of um zombie like reaction to his mother 's death and I think um, that that the music in focus. Um, was something that he always wanted to do he always wanted to uh, be a free spirit and he loved strings and he loved that whole challenge um and his mother just happened to die in the middle of all of that maybe that's why he never seemed to grieve. i didn't i didn't see him f- have one tear when his mother died and it happened um uh in my house we had um or in our house, it was on my youngest daughter's birthday. She had been in a car accident. And, of course, um, being this, uh, perceiving herself as the strong Jewish woman that she felt that she was, even though the doctor said um, she was in a car accident going to a, a Pinaco game or something with her friends, and... Um, it, All of them had a bit of a concussion, and they were all told, all these women, um, to take it easy and not do anything strenuous. Well, she got up, and she ironed and obviously did all the things that she shouldn't have done. And on that day, when she came out to our house, it was actually a house in White Plains here, Hmm. and um, I could see that half her face was drooping, and I said, Goldie, please... Uh, are you feeling okay? She said, no, I have a terrible headache. So I went straight to the phone, even though it was my daughter's birthday, and called um, a doctor and said, emergency, I think my mother-in-law's had a... St-. And um, so she lied down on a couch. And then um, I went off to the phone again, and she needed to go to the bathroom. So they... Um, men that were there fathers helped to the bathroom of course that was the very wrong thing to do and when I saw that they were doing that I said no 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 she has to be completely still but by that time um, her stroke was really very bad and I had to get in the car the doctor came I had to get in the car drive all the way out to Queens to kind of break this gently to Stan's father who adored her and this was one of the hardest things I had to do because they said, you can't tell him he's really diabetic. You'll have to just keep him going until he gets to the hospital. Well, uh, when we arrived at the hospital, she was dead, and he was really not prepared for that, nor was I. And I could hear, in the, while I was parking the car and he got in the hospital, I cried out, and it was very traumatic. Stan, however, was... Uh, strangely cool as a cucumber, and, you know, there is a beautiful habit of sitting Shiva, and he he really wasn't all there, I think. Maybe he was numbed, I don't know, but um, I know uh, his, his uh, and Shandle, his mother's sister, was quite outraged because she felt that Stan wasn't grieving appropriately, and, um, but he was in the middle of that record. Maybe he was so into the record um, and he gave it his all. And thinking about his mother, he probably played his heart out. This was what I'm projecting because mm. I never figure out really what was going on
0: with that. Um. Wow, that's a very heavy story. Did, you know... What what was it like when cats like Norman Grands, uh, because uh, Stan had some he was barred in Britain from playing for a minute. They found out about his drug bust the year before. Uh, he tries Stan tried to get Norman Grands to intervene on his behalf, and Grands said to him, "I won't fight for you if you're going to get high. Clean up your act." D- did did he did that resonate with Stan? I mean, did I mean Grands was so essential for that. You can say what you want about the music itself of jazz, the Philharmonic, but he really did. I mean, when Stan got out of jail the first time, he was there to um, provide work opportunities for Stan. But outside of you not tolerating that kind of behavior, did 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 pep talks from people like Grands have an impact on Stan? Or was he kind of um, what does that do? I guess more to more to the point with an addict. Does, does it only last is it is it only a a short period of time where that has an no, impact No um you know I really appreciated
1: Norman um and so did Stan um I really do think that he did appreciate him but he, he also realized that he made a lot of money generally <laughs> off these issues <musicians laughs> That's right. Who did, <laughs> that's right. a <laughs> very good point. Who didn't uh, who didn't um weren't in a position to bargain with him because they were so starving. And so he saw both sides of that. And um, I think if you know anything about addiction, nagging and lectures is generally not effective unless you do it as an intervention. Do you know what an intervention is? It's when several people that are important to the person get together in a room because they are very good at, deflecting one person's lecture, but if there's a whole bunch of people that is basically his system, people that he admires, people that he wants to impress, um, if they are all in the same room and they kind of have prepared for this, then it's a very hard thing for a person to deny and excuse and make explanations. And that usually works very well. But in those days, none of us knew about this. And um, I know Norman meant well, but he also ma- made plenty of money on Stan and
0: the other movies. No doubt about it, but what I'm saying yeah. is when he would go and say, clean up your act, would Stan, uh, would, he resist, well, how oh, would he How would you he? You know,
1: there were other things that were more compelling. Like, for instance, he wanted to play in England. Um <laughs> This is this is what's called tough love, you know? Right. Or, um, That's right. He,
0: You're 100% he, right? Also, I want to ask he, you something else the, before you go on. Yeah. He had a his he couldn't play. He had his cabaret license denied in New York City, which is I think one reason you went. He couldn't play in New York for a while. This is tough love, right? Well, this this was
1: what I consider one of our major accomplishments. Break it down. He he could not um play in new york and i think he was the first musician after a drug conviction that was able to get it back by proving that he was um uh, uh, trying to get better and was better and so um we challenged the whole system here in new york and managed to get his um um, there was a wonderful we eventually got a wonderful accountant called izzy stratner and his um his brother, I think it was, Maxwell T. Cohen. I don't know why they had different names. <laughs> uh, or maybe it was his uncle. Uh, he was a lawyer, and we really went to bat for Stan and um, testified, and they did home visits, and they take blood tests and urine tests, and Stan was uh, fine, and they could not deny him um, the liquor license otherwise it was by road. once you were convicted you could never get it back but he got it back
0: like so he and he got it back relatively quickly or but but he had it but he didn't have any work in new york so so eventually
1: well he he could always have work in new york but he didn't uh, he wasn't able to play because he didn't have that uh, liquor license
0: he didn't have the liquor license, so he couldn't play. Yeah. So and then, mm-hmm. you, so you advocated, but that this fight—how long did this advocacy have to go on until he was, like you said, he was? Well, the f- the,
1: there were so many things that were happening at the same time. Um, <laughs> the thing with the children—you know, children, yes. you know yep. his mother, yep. dis- uh, the children's mother disappeared. I had to come to New York. uh move into that little apartment with the children, and clean that up, which was just. <laughs> an unbelievable thing, Um, and then go to court and try to um, see to it that the state didn't take charge of the children because Stan couldn't um, get custody because of his conviction. In those days, it was very strict law. So CPS were going to take care of the children, and and I knew Stan would never be happy without his children, and they were the sweetest thing in the world. I just so wanted them to have a normal, healthy life. So um, uh, I got custody with Goldie's help, because Goldie said she was too old and couldn't handle three small children. And so um, she went in there, and we testified, and we got the children, and then at the same time, we... Um, Stan, we discovered Stan came, Stan's father came to me with a suitcase full of bills. He had never paid a bill, I think, in his entire life. Not only that, what had happened during his drug years and alcohol years that he had come across a pamphlet where you deduct a certain amount of money that you're supposed to give to the government for the musicians, and that made him appear like a professional band leader, so he dutifully, and he was very good at arithmetic, um, collected the money, but he wasn't clear about where he was supposed to pay it in. So with all his drug needs and everything else, the money disappeared. And I had no clue about this. So I decided like a dutiful Swedish citizen, I'm going to go to the IRS and earnestly say, (laughs) "Now, now we're going to pay everything back. And um, maybe we could have a payment plan instead. I was handed an envelope and very clearly um, told that um, this collection agent, which shall remain nameless, yes. but it's in my mind, um, <laughs> wanted a hefty Everything's in wanted you, a you, hefty you, bribe. Yeah, oh wow, wow. Yeah, and I refused, and so <laughs> um, thinking that the this is this is an unusual thing. At the time, apparently, my accountant said it was a very common thing. Uh, instead, um, we hired through Donna Reed, who was my maid of honor. You know who Donna Reed is, right? She w- she made th- this movie, The Benny Goodman Story with Stan.
0: Wow. Um, oh, that's right. Uh, he, yeah, okay. Yeah. I, I was going to ask yeah. you about that, too.
1: Steve Allen had the lead in Donna, and so we got to be really good friends, Donna and I. And so um, she helped us get an attorney. um in uh, Wall Street, one of the major um, legal firms. But you can just imagine what that cost and how many years that took because this was a felony to take money out of the musician's paycheck and pocket the money. So that's what he had done all those years. And he said he just didn't quite understand the system. And so we paid all that money back. And uh, so not only could he not play, but when he started to be able to play because we got his liquor license straightened out, the IRS was there collecting uh, pretty much 100% of the money. So you can imagine that it was very hard times for us and the three small children.
0: Going back to his... uh and I just want you to be as candid as possible. But going back to his issues with his lungs, and the doctors worried about sustaining permanent damage. Um, you guys went to a Kenyan resort mm-hmm. on the Indian Ocean. Yeah. And um, one night at an American oil man's house, uh, drinking a lot of whiskey, stand drank too much. He smashed his favorite saxophone against the trees. Now you, at the time, not being an academic, you weren't scholar. You weren't academically understanding of addiction you tried to flush his pills down the toilet and he he beat you severely and he they yeah. then they it was th-
1: just them um, but um, I know but this is my question
0: the, yeah. the, the you, you know stan that you guys made up some story cuz you were really severely beaten your face was seriously beaten and i no it was
1: one shot it was just one but that's all it took it was a uh, it was a very frightening experience.
0: Um, Mike, the thing is that is that in your mind at that like, you want you said I, you took away his you were flushing his pills down. Can you just take us into that? Because here's the thing, the I'm reason the, re- the the reason this is compelling is because, this is living in the daily in the moment with somebody in the when they are not themselves and they are Absolutely. and and that they,
1: was a wake up call to me. Um, what was the wake-up call? Yeah, it was a wake-up call. How dangerous he was when he was um, determined to get drugs or whatever. Um, so what happened was that we were in um, uh, in a hotel in Nairobi, and he had secretly from a doctor gotten a prescription of. Something or another, and I had realized that he had a paradoxical reaction to that means the opposite of what you're supposed to have to these pills these are called two 2nd all, secondol all barbiturates, and instead of being able to sleep on them that was the intention, he would become more and more agitated and he would take more and more pills and he would become Absolutely out of control. So I knew what these pills meant. And immediately when I saw the prescription, I uh, flushed him down the toilet. He happened to walk into the bathroom right at that moment. And his immediate reaction was just a fist right in the middle of my face. And I saw pieces of bone flying. It was really unbelievable. And wow. um,
0: he shattered—he shattered your orbit bone or your nose or what? Did he, what my are,
1: nose, my nose. And um, what happened was almost, uh, yeah. Now in retrospect, I guess I could laugh at it, but uh, they put him in Africa in some kind of cage, uh, like an animal. The the hotel people called the police. I didn't know any of this. Oh, what All I know is that they called an ambulance for me, and they took me right to the hospital. And luckily, there was a surgeon there um, from England who was just wonderful and reconstructed my nose. And um, when I asked about Stan, they said um, I had the, the consul, the Swedish consul, um, was a friend of my friends with my parents, he and his wife. And they came, and they tried to find out what had happened to Stan. And in Africa in those days, <laughs> they put violent people in a cage. In a cage. So he was, in, a cage. Yeah, On, in a cage. In a cage. In a cage. In a cage. And so they got him out, and he was just uh, inc- inconsolable. Uh, so sorry, and uh, I guess it's, he spoke the truth that this was the pill's. But um, I was very apprehensive, and uh, I had to kind of conceal this and say, and that's what you did in those days, too. It's typical of domestic violence, really, but I didn't, that wasn't such a word even concept then. But um, I told my family when we got back, I had this big cast on my face that we'd been in a car accident, but I had great reservations about where this relationship would go
0: i I can't i mean that's what i'm saying is that in forgetting about even the domestic violence laws someone is as i mean
1: there were no such laws then i know no what i'm saying (laughs) is
0: that but just being somebody uh, from the family you come from being a beautiful person inside and out it's like i'm amazed that you wouldn't I mean, he just—he bu- just, yeah, you know. I mean, that was that was
1: that was a that was a cross point there where I actually, when I returned to Sweden, I went to stay with my grandmother, and um, uh, I I was I told him I I thought we there was gonna be no future in this relationship, but you know, Stans determined. Oh my God, I've never seen anybody so determined. And Could you give an example? <laughs> I mean,
0: it d- d- determined to to he was he t- to to keep you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Can you give an example of that? Because because what I'm trying to get at is, at the end of the day, when <laughs> he sent
1: a letter to my grandmother in English with uh, flowers mm. to her to me, it was the year I was to be presented for the court. That's normally what happens to noble families in that in that era. Wow. And uh, wow. uh, uh, he was uh, absolutely despondent. He didn't feel that he could live um, without me, and um, he, he just uh, he just um, wouldn't leave us alone.
0: And hold on for a second. Okay, stop. I want he wouldn't leave you alone. So, but. From your point of view, as somebody who just... From my point of view... You got, your, you got your face beaten, and after you took him to a place... Here's this, the context of it, is that his lungs were damaged. The doctors told him he wouldn't play again. You were so in love with this individual that you took him to dry out, and he winds up... What does he do? He beats you in the face, and now you're saying he wouldn't leave you alone. hmm So it was a really, And... Yeah. But... What
1: interesting. It wasn't him and his pleadings that got to me. What got to me was the reading I would started to do about alcoholism and chemical dependency and addiction that made me really convinced that these people are out of control, that this is a disease that they didn't ask for, that they didn't want. And I became at that point convinced somehow that if I didn't figure this thing out, I didn't think that anybody could, but I I felt Mm. that I could not only be helpful to him, but be helpful to the world because at that time no one in Sweden, believe me, knew anything about alcoholism. Uh, The physicians, um, one of which was uh, that so-called expert was my own cousin, who had written some useless pamphlet on putting vitamin B in alcohol to reduce their vitamin B deficiency. However, eventually, when I started to really study this, which I did, I started to devote myself into studying this, I, eventually, after that episode in Denmark, I went to medical school only to find out that in in Denmark medical school, nobody knew anything about alcohol, really. And then I studied in this country. I ended up at the Yale School of Alcoholism finding a pamphlet that my grandfather had written almost 100 years ago that was perfectly clear on the fact that alcoholism is a disease like diabetes and it's probably... um, yeah, genetically predisposed and that it is treatable if you can help somebody stay away long enough from alcohol the only thing my grandfather didn't have was the benefit of the 12-step program here's the, i want this
0: is a, this is a very important question for um this this evolving um a project that we are working on. Did you feel you had to stay even though he was you know, he obviously was uh, a, a beautiful handsome person. He was uh, he, he was a he was a, um, a, a very powerful musician. He was um, Somebody who you adored even though he did you feel like in order to learn even though you were learning in academia Did you feel like you had to stay in the relationship to get a better understanding of a true addict.
1: No, I never had that feeling because but most people did, would
0: most people would say what
1: I what I did feel you see, I'm always been very spiritual. Um don't talk about it too much, but I am
0: Me too. No, I mean I, I, I just and, feel that And yeah.
1: I felt that God wanted me that this was a challenge just like for my grandfather, it was a challenge to walk from. He was an explorer. He walked from the southern tip of Africa to the northern tip. My, um, gosh. this was my area to explore and to be helpful to humanity. I really felt that uh, that God wanted wanted this. Um, me to follow my heart, and I had this long discussion with my father, who you can imagine was not thrilled about the prospects of me marrying. If you were my, I have
0: two daughters, and if my daughter came home, I would have gone and tried to kill Stan.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So well, I mean, so how did you con- So so continue. I didn't mean well, to cut you off. First
1: I, of all, never told him about this so-called. It was a car accident.
0: Car, it was a car accident. Right, right. Never told him, hmm.
1: but I did tell him about the addiction, and because he was a physician. He said, Monica,
0: I know
1: not enough about addictions, but I know enough to know it's almost impossible for them to get out of it. Uh, Hmm. And if anyone can, maybe he should not have said this, but he did say this, if anyone can win this by love, you can, and if not, I think you were intelligent enough to extricate yourself, but I would be the last person to tell you not to marry because of love.
0: That's do you? What do he do said. Do, and, and, and let me ask you: Being that he was an explorer and his eyes are wide open, if the that tr- was
1: my grandfather, my father was an orthopedic surgeon. He was a, so. I mean,
0: yeah. If the truth that became known that that he had brutalized your face, do you think they would have been? They would not. I have, think.
1: I think I think he would have um probably thought differently, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. you know I had two fantastic parents who really, really wanted their children to thrive and I just don't know um what he would have said if he had known um, My mother was also supportive and and Wonderful, and she learned later on, of course, what was going on with Stan, and um, she believed um, she believed in marriage. She did believe that, um, and and this particular family, you know, there was so much love invested and so much um, history. the, The alternative, you know, what is the alternative? I pretty much um, knew in my heart that if I didn't help him as much as I could to at least some kind of periodic sobriety, that he would probably um, not live.
0: What do you say so to many th- of us as the, as the spokesman as a spokeswoman for somebody who has done groundbreaking work in Sweden, uh, what would you say to those people that say, "Monica, you enabled him and you were it was a codependent thing?
1: Oh, at first. I'd be the first to say, Mm -hmm. but I discovered Al-Anon, and Lois, the creator of Al-Anon, became my sponsor. No, 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 no longer enabling. That was the magic of the 12-step program. When somebody is sick, you usually fluff up the pillow and make them comfortable. Not so with alcoholism. You stop enabling. You let them take the consequences. You take responsibility for yourself. You don't allow the person to influence you, and you just try to be a good example on how to live happily in spite of their shenanigans because it's really basically people acting with a brain damage, temporary and, and, and recoverable brain damage, but they're not functioning with a full deck
0: well we are if he uh, had a brain
1: tumor if he had a brain tumor would i leave him if that was his behavior no but
0: you were i mean i i feel like it would have all been in vain because you came so close to being murdered so many times
1: i don't think i i was close to being murdered i think that i um was very brave and i don't know where that bravery came from but i was you were i mean
0: totally uh, uh, you're fearless in some ways i i you know but it's yeah uh,
1: yeah in a in a way i i had been given so much you know i was Mm -hmm. uh, always conscious and my parents always made me conscious of um uh, a privilege and i felt i owed it to god to see this through At the end, though, at the end, when I realized uh, after the Bossa Nova and Stan was very successful and he started to uh, believe his own publicity and he started to be um, untruthful, um, that's when I made a decision when the children were grown and they already had their education that now I'm going to Sweden and I will bring this message to Sweden, which changed Sweden. They, They didn't have... Uh, one Al-Anon meeting in Sweden except for one person sitting by the phone waiting for it to ring. Now all of Sweden is full of AA, Al-Anon, of of functioning. uh, I think after I came to Sweden with this message about the 12-step program, um, at first I think there were 97 treatment centers from having zero before. All that alcoholics did in Sweden was... Go to doctors, get a prescription, and now they were duly addicted. And that's when my brother called me, who is a psychiatrist, and said, "You know, they're jumping. Uh, some of our closest friends, um, a man, a musician, wonderful musician, called Beppo Grassman, who was uh, in my school class. He and his significant other jumped uh, one week apart, I think, from." Uh, mental hospital because they couldn't solve their alcohol problems so we said you have to come here and you have to train our physicians and i did and it changed it changed sweden i founded the swedish council on alcoholism and other drug addictions and that's the period when stan went to california and was certainly enabled
0: well i you know i mean you are I mean a testament to strength and uh, an inspiration. I, I think we just I, I want to keep um, I, we just went for another sixty five minutes here um, set through <laughs> we? yeah, we did, and you are, are and just just carving out you know I mean this is uh, a beautiful thing, and uh, we will I will have a um a Well, f- I loved
1: him, I loved his music. Uh, I loved uh him when he was at at his best. The other side was part of a disease that was in extreme. And I will tell you this, that um, there was a period when he was getting an abuse He knew darn well he was getting an abuse because he was the one who initiated it with doctor martensen Larsen in Denmark. Um, I think the problem with anti-abuse is that it doesn't take into consideration the decision to stay sober. Uh, and I think Stan, when he had an abuse and he took it himself, he would just... So you'd never know when all of a sudden he'd become a dangerous person. Um, so I think it was necessary while the children were growing up to have some kind of a um, uh, uh, insurance that terrible things would not happen now once he had contact with a, the 12-step program that were uh, that was a long period almost a 10-year period when he was clean and sober and we were as happy as could be
0: well we're going to have to we have we have just started to enter the early 60s and you play a pivotal role in his career uh, and we're going to uh, do that uh, in, in the next session Okay. And I will have a uh my plan is is to come to Irvington um November 9th and 10th. So I will send you the proposal uh okay. tomorrow, okay? Uh but uh this is a spiritual thing and um I want you to be very clear to people out there why you decided to stay the course because there's a lot of people that would say that person can, and I'm not saying, just there's a lot of spouses that would say, that dude can go rot in hell, and I'll still get educated on the disease. But you decided, you love your love for the family and love for Stan superseded that, and that to me, and the fact that you're still not only with us, you're right with me at all times. It's absolutely a spiritual thing. Stan, I, mean, I can feel Stan uh smiling i I know
1: stan is proud of me you know we we i will tell you this we forget too quickly for better or for worse and i think life isn't always um an ice
0: cream sundae (laughs) No it's not. You know, it's not. And, it it and, is not. And I
1: think we need we need one of the important things that we need to teach our sh- our children is um and ourselves that life hands you a lemon you make lemonade. Um it's not always a picnic. <laughs> and believe me, <coughs> Stan and I had wonderful times in uh Always when he was sober and clean and sober, um, we were as happy as anybody. Alec Wilder, I just came across a letter that Alec Wilder wrote that he's he's never seen such happiness and such harmony as with us two. But of course, when one person is using and the other person is not, it's not possible to have have a happy relationship. I don't think I can remember a single fight that Stan and I had if it wasn't about addiction we didn't have those ordinary little household fights about um budget or um should i buy this house or should i uh go to school or should i do this or should i do that we had basically a relationship that was pretty evil pretty even evil yeah even hmm. um and we were partners, and I could do certain things that he couldn't do. He could do certain things that I couldn't do. And um, I don't have a moment's worth of resentment in my heart for him. I really
0: don't. You know, I just something came into my mind here that I want you to uh, marinate on <coughs> and think about is just uh, we stand most likely with some of the issues, not necessarily in Africa, but. Um, in today's criminal justice system, Stan would never have gotten out of jail. We've become a more punitive society. So it's, I want you to think about that as it relates to addiction. Uh, it's not just about somebody getting caught with a bag of pot. It's the idea that the cops show up multiple times during a night and somebody is clearly injured. That person's. we live, our, ju- our judicial system, now, our, our justice system was, was crude back then, But, I mean, Merle Haggard was arrested 12 times, and he was still making hit records before his record was expunged by Ronald Reagan. So I want you to think about this nexus between the justice system, because you know what? You were able to spend all this. That's
1: why I created the Coalition for Family Justice. We have now coming up on the 22nd of October a judicial forum where we teach judges how to deal with addiction, because... Treatment is the answer Of course
0: is it, Are you teaching them or are you edu- edu- educating them? <laughs> well That's a fine line <laughs> um, I'll just say, I just don't think a lot of judges Like to be taught stuff But I'm with you 100% No
1: and, and you know something That's part of the problem I know. That they yeah. don't yeah. like to be taught things yeah. Because oh, how are these I feel for judges Because how are these Essentially businessmen um, who are appointed um, by their colleagues to run or, or selected to run not because their uh, knowledge about marital problems or not about their knowledge about domestic violence, but basically because they've done the party a favor of some kind or another. Um, how are they supposed to understand what's going on before them? Somebody. Um, who is more skillful at lying, usually prevails. Well, who do you think it is, the addicted, charming person, or the victim who is just crying all the time and is very fearful of even speaking the truth in the courtroom because when they get home, they're going to get it. Uh,
0: So without
1: educating the judges, they don't have a chance to make a good decision.
0: I would just argue that um, it's looking back on it in some ways it was a blessing because you would maybe I mean Stan would have spent a long period of time in behind bars in today's modern world with domestic violence uh, which is not to be taken lightly but it's we've become in some ways more punitive but I think your point of view is in order to understand the disease you can't throw these people in a, in a cage. You're not gonna. It's not gonna work.
1: No. However, you know, I'm not opposed to jail as a consequence, as long as it's connected to some kind of treatment. Um, not. I would say, on the contrary, though, um, mandatory treatment as an alternative to jail, because sometimes. People are in such denial that unless you have the, the the consequence of jail as an alternative, no one's going to go to treatment because most addicted persons cannot see themselves as being addicted. They see that they're here because of this or because of that, because of another person. They truly don't have the insight. So you'd be surprised. Our jails would almost be empty if we had treatment as an alternative, because most of the people are there not because they intend to do a criminal act, really. They're there to maintain an addiction. They are there because their judgment is gone. They are there because they decide to drive a car under the influence. Now, if they realized that they would be able to get Well, and if they were able to, if the judges swiftly would send them to effective treatment, Delaware had this kind of a system. And it was amazing how many families were rescued and how many good things came out of it. But judges have to have the courage to say, either you go to jail, and most people that I know don't want to go to jail, or you go to treatment.
0: Monica Getz, it's always a treat to talk to you. Did you you received part two and when I emailed you it last week?
1: You know, I haven't had a chance to look at uh, it, but I'm going please to Please confirm
0: listen. that, okay? I want to make sure you have yeah. all this stuff and uh I'm hoping to get a uh proposal to you in writing uh tomorrow. Okay. Okay. Good. It's always all right. it's always so nice to connect with you.
1: All right. And don't be afraid to to ask me these questions because um you keep saying candid, candid I don't know any other way to be about candid
0: well it, it is it's just um absolutely and um and you're doing a heck and you're doing great i mean this was a cosmic another cosmic uh situation but I just think it's uh it's uh again we we just want to stay on that spiritual path
1: I know and you know something uh it's healthy for me to hear how much mythology um surrounds Dan. Uh, because some of these things that you mentioned i 've never even heard
0: well, I just want to be clear about something i've th- maybe it's mythology to you, but um a lot of it th- that's part of it is I also want you to understand that i've done a bunch of interviews with people musicians people that didn 't live with Stan, but they 've told stories and uh, and they're not stories they're real, and so there's it may be mythology to you, but there is something um as, as as heroic and as and as brilliant as he was, um, he was also. Um, this stuff is not always factually inaccurate. There's a, there is there's some serious baggage there. So I just think it's important. No no no.
1: Do you know what I'm talking about? You have to understand what I'm talking about.
0: Hmm.
1: I'm talking about uh, this ghetto business.
0: Uh, we no. Don't even get caught up in that. You know I. Are do you have any contact with Alan Greenspan? By the way. <laughs> No, no, I'd like to. Yeah, nice no, okay.
1: Swedish girl, apparently.
0: <laughs> no, I was gonna say because if you anyway, can
1: put us together, that would be really interesting. Let yeah. me
0: let me uh, be clear. Uh, that is, that is just stuff that I picked up on. Um, you know, ultimately, listen, there was no air conditioning. Stan connected with the black community of jazz at that time. He loved it, and at the end of the day, he was. You know, what the point is that Red Press. They were in the saxophone sextet And they went to perform For a woman at a, ho- uh, a woman who owned a hotel And you know uh, At the end Everybody played a series of things And she just pointed to Stan And said you are the leader And she pointed to Stan Because it had nothing to do with his technique Because he was definitely the best he, Red was three or four years older than Stan And Stan was thir- You know he was young she pointed yeah. to him because he was angelic looking. He was beautiful. So he, no matter what the reasons why, he did move on from that life. And, you know, you talk to people like, I believe it was, God, possibly a, Dr. Cooperman. He, he grew up in that in that year. I'll have to send you that interview because, I mean, this... Th- send
1: me that interview because I'm the one introduced Stan to, to
0: Dr. Kuperman. Well, believe me. I mean, this. <laughs> all I'm saying is, is that this is one of the greatest families in the world. I feel so fortunate to be able to... Cooperman like, was there, too. So it, it, the, the truth is somewhere, you know, it, it, the, the idea here is that no matter what, Stan was destined to move on from that life. But from where he came from in Russia, in order to escape where he was at, he had to be—he had to be better than perfect. That, yeah, it, but um, yeah. And we, listen. We, it's okay. We can go back and forth on it. It's okay. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah um, but I, I, I beg to differ with you. Uh,
0: That's okay. He
1: was not a perfectionist. He really wasn't.
0: He was. Um, you have no. You have no idea how many times musicians have told me. That Stan played this brilliant set. Brilliant. And he would come back and be so... He said he thought he played terribly. Because he made one mistake. And it was like... These guys were like... Are you crazy? I think he was a perfectionist in his own way. But you know better than me. So...
1: Well... Well, no, but it, it was a little bit, just slightly, slightly different.
0: Slightly different, slightly different. Uh, I mean, you even, yeah. you, by the way, you slightly also. Different. I mean, I, mean, I want to tell you my. I, I want to tell you, my friend. I, yeah, no, I just want to say that I asked you about why he wanted to come back, and maybe it was because the music was taking right. on a new shape. But you basically confirmed what I said when you said that he wanted to be back in the culture. He wanted to be back in the jazz community. He wanted to be exactly. back, right? He wanted exactly. to be back, right?
1: But he was taken aback once he got here. Um, hmm. That the music had so completely taken off in a different direction. He really was. You see, in those days, it wasn't all that easy to communicate with what was going on in this side of the world and that side of the world. And yeah, absolutely. I remember how disappointed he was when he heard all that. What he called hate music, and uh,
0: he called it hate music. No, he really, didn't. He, he did not call it hate music. He did. Wow. OK, so I, yeah. we're, we're, we're going to let's let Monica have a beautiful day. Please confirm with me that you received part two and he
1: would I, never call Coltrane's music hate music, but there was a lot of.
0: Well, I want to get into this. This is important because the main man at this t- I mean, listen, the main the, in this in, on these liner notes, I'll send you a picture of it tonight. It's very clear that John Coltrane, in the eyes of white journalists like myself, was leading the charge in angry message music. So we can, and I don't think Stan believed that, but that's what the the white cats were saying. And I've talked to enough black guy, black jazzers. Yeah, he, uh,
1: he would never say a bad word about John. Never. That story, by the way. That story. Yeah. But you see, all of this stuff was uh, a lot of it was created by writers. And 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 like I told you, this this little determined German boy. Was determined to 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 get John to say something disparaging about Stan. Believe me,
0: that story brought me to tears. I already I already edited that. that, That's that that's going to be part of the film. I mean that that to me was like the story about him and Dizzy with the cool cool hot jazz and the Coltrane story in the cafeteria. (laughs) That you know my life is already you know I'm I'm complete on this. So much love to you, Monica. All right, talk to you soon. Okay. All right. All right.
1: right. Okay. Cheers. Talk to
0: you. Bye bye.